Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 113 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and uh, this is some sort of a cold open. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the show today. Uh, it's actually going to run on Sunday. This is an episode that I recorded on Saturday evening with the uh, host of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, Chris Manning. Uh, we talked about Kyle Korver almost exclusively. There is some other stuff in there, but there's also some stuff for, on the Cavs side of things. So um, feel free to listen to the Cavs part if you want to jump around. I will not have any beef with you on that. But this is sort of a bonus episode. Talk a little bit about Kyle and his impact in Atlanta as well as what he's going to look like in Cleveland. So enjoy. Enjoy the show, and we'll be back again with another full, regular episode on Monday. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, I'm Chris Manning from Locked On Cavs. And I am Brad Rowland from Locked on Hawks. So we're here today to talk about Kyle Korver, uh, the in and outs uh, for both teams with the, the Kyle Korver going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you don't already know, that is a deal where Korver goes to Cleveland. The Cavs are sending a 2019 first-round pick, Mike Dunleavy's uh, and his and his contract, and Mo Williams, and basically Mo Williams' contract because Mo Williams has been chilling in Alabama all season. Um for me, Brad, before we kind of get into this, I was a little bit surprised that this has happened. It hadn't been discussed of him at least being the the guy that was going to be traded out of Atlanta at least first. And I was not really expecting the Cavs to be a team that would be able to get a guy from the Hawks. Um, and, and it's just kind of this was kind of a surprise when this came through. Yeah, I was surprised by the timing more than anything. You know, it's still fairly early. There's always been rumblings over the last, I mean, at least a couple weeks, if not months that the Hawks could be looking to do something like this with Corver uh, and maybe to Tabo Cephalosha in a similar vein. And these two guys are, vet- they were, you know, veteran guys, free agents to be. Uh, so, you know, the Hawks probably not going to win the title this year. I think we could, we could probably all agree on that. So uh, moving on from one of those guys is not a big shock to me, but the fact that it was Cleveland was certainly a surprise. It's just how close and how, uh, how fast it came together was definitely a surprising thing, especially in there's that, there's that, there's that time period in which, when no, nobody knew what the return was going to be. It was uh, sort of just broken as, you know, Kyle Corver to the Cavs and kind of speculating and trying to figure out what Cleveland could have done to make that deal happen. Um, I was actually kind of okay with their return. I think I'm, my, 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 I might be in the, in the minority in terms of Hawks people, but I thought getting a first rounder of any kind for Kyle was uh, a win in my view. Um, but I know, I know it's probably not going to be a good pick. You know, Cleveland is going to be good for as long as LeBron is LeBron, which, you know, 2019, you assume that he'll probably take a slight step back at that point, but still um, it's a pretty safe bet that Cleveland's going to be a good basketball team in a couple of years. Uh, so not, not the most intriguing pick in the world, but for a guy uh, on for a guy in Corver that's going to be a rental, a pure rental, you would imagine on this trade, it's going to be, that's a reasonable return, I think. And uh, it was definitely surprising. I wasn't shocked that he got traded. It was just, more of when when it happened and where he's going yeah and we're going to get into i think what this means for Atlanta and for the Cavs in a little bit but let's, let's start with Corver as a person here um 
For him, I imagine. I mean, I just saw the 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 pictures and video of him on the bench during that last game, and he looked very solemn. And I think all the quotes that we saw from guys like him and Kent Bazemore, and even Dwight Howard had kind of an interesting quote about this, and Millsap as well, who of course is also in trade in trade talks. This is a big change for Corver. I mean, Atlanta has been the place I think he's most going to be most associated with when he retires. Like, of course, Chicago and Utah, and he started with the Sixers, and if the Cat helps the Cavs win a title, he gets his name in there. But he's going to be best known for being a part of those really good Hawks teams for a couple of years, being a, an all-star the one year. Um, and he seemed very connected with the community. Like, I, I just thought, I was thinking about this as I saw this on Twitter. His church, because um, he's a pretty religious guy, from my understanding, tweeted, like, we're going to miss you, Kyle, and he's not going to be there. And, like, this is a big mid-season adjustment for him and I, I kind of don't I don't know how much you know but wouldn't know about this exactly but I imagine this is kind of going to be kind of a transition for him not so much on the court because I think that's going to work really well but off the court I think it's going to be a big change yeah I mean I won't claim to know a ton about Kyle off the floor other than what you can see in the public but uh you know dealing with him in this, as, as someone in the media I've always enjoyed Kyle I think he's a smart thoughtful guy um, who's always been gracious to me personally and to the media that I've always seen. So he's definitely a good guy. It's not a surprise to me that um, you would imagine people are going to be upset that he's leaving, that he's going to be upset. Uh, it wasn't as if he's uh, – it was just a weird spot. You know, He spent that entire game on the bench that you're referencing against the Pelicans uh, in this limbo state where uh, he already knew he was going to get traded, but it wasn't official, so he had to go out there and sit with the team. Uh, he was uh, – you know, he, he's a pro. He was up and cheering during the, during the fourth quarter as the Hawks kind of made a – uh, the push to win that game, but afterwards you could tell he was emotional. Mike Budnolz has been emotional and talking about Corver. Um, he's definitely a fan favorite in the community. He has done a lot of uh, charitable work uh, around. He has a couple of uh, financial things. You mentioned his church thing, which I'm not really you know super super familiar with, but doesn't surprise me uh, with Kyle. So yeah, it's it's definitely a weird thing. You know, he mentioned even uh, specifically that you know all of his kids were born in Atlanta during this time. Um, I think we often overlook the personal stuff with these guys. They do make a lot of money, but these guys are still uh, people with families and uh, things that go on. So uh, I kind of referenced that uh, watching him sitting on the bench during that game and, you know, how awkward would that be for both him and his teammates just knowing that he's going to not be there anymore. Um, but, yeah, Kyle, you could tell he was uh, moved by it, but I'm actually happy for him that he's going to a good situation. You know, I was not going to be surprised if he got traded, but going to a good spot where he's going to be able to uh, pursue a title is uh, going to be fun for him and I think he probably realizes that too he's he's acknowledged that um as a good thing if you're gonna if you're gonna get traded you want to get traded to a good team like that so that'll be fun from a basketball standpoint but you never want to uproot your family and this is sort of that business in which you kind of t- take that thing for granted you talk about I'm guilty of this too talking about guys getting traded and how that's the right how's the right team for the right move for a certain team but uh you have to think beyond that if you're the player and you have a family and uh, that's definitely the case for Kyle so mixed emotions there especially for people that cover him on a daily basis and I know a lot of fans uh, are wishing him the best, even though you know a lot of Hawks fans don't have the fondest uh, thoughts about the Cavs. Um, but it's going to be weird to uh, root for Kyle, but also not rooting for the Cavs for a lot of people. But I, I, I'm just hoping that he's going to have success because uh, he's been a great guy in my experience. Yeah, everything I've ever read or heard about him, he's just the nicest guy. And I think, like you're right, I think you're remembering that these guys are people. This is a big, like this is a thing. I mean, you're he, like you said, he's leaving the city where his kids were born. Like that's a big thing. He's made a home there. Um, and that's like a big change and like yes like it's probably very exciting to know that you're gonna have a chance to play for a title and you're gonna get to play with LeBron James and you're gonna just kind of get put in a really good situation and you know really have probably the best chance he's ever had to win a title Um, 
it's just yeah i mean, yeah, like, yeah, I mean the hawks almost has ago, to be yeah, yeah i mean, I mean yeah just because i mean the hawks a couple years ago were so good and he was such a big part of it but like off the court that's a big change um and i think for the hawks too this is i mean the, uh, from as an outsider for this this is to me was the signal that this is the end of that era. Like Horford's obviously been gone, Damari was gone at the season after they they all you know they had the Player of the Month award with all five of them. This to me was the the sign that this is the end fully of of those Hawks teams. I mean, obviously Teague's gone as well, but this was the the last one of the last guys. And if you're trading Kyle Korver, it's probably clear that maybe Paul Millsap's on the way out too. And that, to me, is someone who just loved actually watching those Hawks teams because they played such an interesting style. It was cool to see. It was honestly cool to see a team without a superstar, like out a high, high, like a Durant or a Curry or a LeBron. They got all just re- all really good players, and they just played like really good team basketball and all this stuff. And it was fun to see those guys. And this, it kind of sucks that like that's the end of of those guys. And that's kind of how we're gonna remember the end of that. It's Kyle Korver sitting on the bench, knowing he's traded, and knowing that, and Paul Millsap kind of probably thinking, okay. Maybe I'm next. Yeah, it's definitely weird. That was the, that 61 season was my second year covering the team with the credentials. So kind of got uh, a little bit spoiled by how fun that team was just even to watch on a daily basis. Like, you know, I never really tripped myself into thinking, thinking that they were actually going to win the title. But um, they were super fun. You know, having the un- you mentioned the player of the month thing. They were undefeated in that entire month. They went 17 and 0 for a month. Um, just kind of ridiculous how, how much fun and cool they were to watch. And just uh, as a basketball diehard and sort of a purist, the way they played, how unselfish they were etc you know guys can just be um not not having that singular force is uh, was the problem in the end for them for sure uh, at least one of the problems but the way they played just so so freely and not worried about who was shooting the ball etc um, was a lot of fun to watch but yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what they do now uh i will not be blown away if they don't trade Millsap. Uh, I'm, st- I'm still trying to kind of hold on to uh, that and present that present that option because everybody, you know, justifiably is jumping into the fact that, you know, the Hawks are rebuilding. It's official. And like, I think that's the most likely scenario now um, is that this is the this is the first domino of many. But the Hawks have been super frugal in terms of uh, being willing to rebuild. And there's a lot of rebuild dynamics in Atlanta that we can not get into here because it'll be uh, too long of a conversation. <laughs> yeah. of, uh, why, uh, why the team why the team wouldn't rebuild or, w- or would. Um, but, you know, th- they've now won six in a row as we record this as well, which could be another wrinkle and that uh, this would not be my favorite thing in the world, but they, they might be able to talk themselves into uh, not selling if they are playing well enough not to do that. Um, I would root against that if I'm a Hawks fan, which is a weird thing to say. You don't want to root for your team to lose, but uh, at the same time, yeah, they have a lot of decisions to make, and I think uh, it's the most likely scenario now is that they go ahead, go ahead with something of rebuild, not a full-on tank job, but definitely uh, not the same uh, you know, forward-thinking, uh, hopefully, you know, in thinking in the moment is going to be uh, a, a little bit uh, down the line versus uh, the future. The future is going to be uh, definitely more important uh, in the next in the next uh, couple of months, and that's uh, that, that that would definitely be a change based on that. You know, they signed Dwight Howard and Kent Bazemore to big contracts in July. Neither one of those guys are rebuilding things, so uh, sort of a, pr- a pretty quick sea change. And it's going to be interesting to see if they follow through with it. Yeah, because you do have guys that could be part of a rebuild, right? Like um, Schroeder. You pick Schroeder because he's younger than Teague, partially. Like obviously, I think Budenholzer loves that guy, and I think you and I have actually talked about this specifically. But like, you pick him because he's younger. You have some guys I really like, and Prince, and um, I mean, and, and it's not like Baysmore is exactly old either. The Howard thing's interesting because this is uh, this is a tangent that we don't need to go all the way down. But I think this is the first time Dwight Howard has been in a situation where the team wasn't really asking him to 
be on a really good team and contend. Like he's always been a building block player with the for, you know with first with the, the Magic and then with the Lakers and then with the Rockets. And to an extent, when he got signed with the Hawks, that changed. But this is like the first time he hasn't been in that building block, trying to win situation. It's like a different vibe for him. And that's kind of interesting in itself. But I, and I think, but I think right, the, the rebuilding stuff is complicated. I think the the Millsap stuff is really interesting because I I could see teams getting into a bidding war for him, and we've seen a lot of teams mention in in those deals. Certain teams have good assets, certain teams don't. But I feel like you could get good young players and a couple guys that are, aren't exactly old but aren't exactly 22 either. I think you could get a lot of good stuff for this. And I wonder, what in your mind, what would it take for Orlando to actually fully move on from from Millsap? Like, what would you be happy with? Yeah, I mean, there was some reporting, uh, I believe, over the weekend that was uh, indicating that the Hawks were looking for a, a quote-unquote quality first-round asset. Uh, whatever that means, whatever quality definition you want to put on that. Um, I think, you know, a combination of picks and young players would be the the, the optimal return. Your, your point is valid in that the best way for the Hawks to create uh, demand for him is to get multiple teams uh, going in this thing, which uh, we've seen te- we've, we've seen and heard teams involved. Uh, you mentioned there's a few of them that don't really have a lot of assets. I think about the Pelicans, for instance, are a team that's been rumored to be t- in the most house sweepstakes, and they don't really have much to go out. Um, same with the Kings. Uh, this, those are two teams that are uh, you, know, you can be as, as, as interested, interested as you want to be uh, to trade for Paul Millsap, but you have to have something to go back the other way. Atlanta has kind of become famous for having these super high asking prices for their guys. You know, there's been tons of reporting, you know, Brian Whithorst and Zach Lowe, a couple of people, Kevin Arnovitz talked about um, just how, how high the price tags were a year ago when the Hawks were quote unquote shopping Al Horford and Jeff Teague and Paul Millsap last year at the deadline. And that's why that, that those deals didn't happen is because the Hawks were asking for uh, too much in the minds of a lot of people. So I don't think Atlanta's asking price is going to go straight down or anything like that. I'd be happy with, you know, a, a if you can get a good pick, then do that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd be okay with that. But aside from that, you're talking about the teams like like the Nuggets and the Raptors. Those teams are more – it's more having these young, cost-controlled assets. Um, like on Toronto's side, you, you know, Jakob Pertl or Terrence Ross or Norman Powell or something like that. And those guys will, you know, break break anything crazy for the Atlanta Hawks. But uh, good good value guys, whereas the same thing with Denver with a couple of their young assets like Yusuf Nurkic or um, even, you know, Jamal Murray in a dreamy scenario, something stuff like that. So, yeah, it's going to be a package in which the Hawks fa- a lot of Hawks fans are going to be underwhelmed, I think, when and if this trade happens. Because you think Paul Millsap, you think, you know, top 20, 25 player in the entire NBA, and that could be a, a high asking price. But when you're talking about a rental and uh, the uh, quote-unquote uh, reward is being able to pay a guy, you know, $40 million a year at the age of 32, um, I think the asking price is going to be a little bit lower than people will expect. But as long as they get one good asset, I would certainly do it, and uh, if they don't, if they are not able to do that for some reason, if they go through the entire league and not get a good asset for Paul, then you know, keep him and see what happens. Yeah, I kind of just in terms of just a basketball sense, I think um, I think Toronto would be the most fun. I think Denver would be interesting too. I I think the Pelicans and stuff have nothing to really give them, right? Like, what are you, what are you gonna get? Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's like, that's, you that's want the, Solomon it's like, Hill, like I, I yeah, want, Buddy know, Hield, yeah, like it's Buddy Hield, who, like I, I wrote a piece about him for the step back, and he, I was like, oh, like he had this really good month, and I looked at their offensive rating from the start of December until the date was like January fifth, and like he had this great month, shot really well from three. They still have the worst offensive rating in the league over that span. <laughs> I was just well, like, and, oh, but, like and, oh, this is bad. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big Buddy Hill guy. We don't want to get down this tangent, but like Buddy Hill's as old as Dennis Schroeder. Like they're the same age, and this is year four for Dennis Schroeder. So it's like remind yourself that yeah, Buddy Hill's a rookie, but he's also 23 years old. I, we, I, he's at least 22. I think he's, I think he's 23, but one of those without without having it in front of me is that you know that guy should be a lot better than he is if you're going to have him be a, bl- a building block piece, and that that pick is not looking terribly good. So yeah, uh, without getting down the line there, there's a lot of these teams that don't have a ton to offer that want to get in the mix, and that's fine. But the Hawks are not, are not going to just give Paul Millsap away because uh, it's already going to be a PR a PR hit for them if they if they end up trading him because he's their best player. Uh, you, you never want to trade your best player in the middle of a season that, that your fan base will never like that. But if you don't get a, a couple of good assets for them, uh, they're not going to be able to take that PR hit. So keep an eye on that. There's, that's, that's definitely a reason for them not to do it is if they can't get anything back for them. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, is there anything else with the Hawks that you kind of think this indicates? Or like, I mean, and how, how did does the fan base react to the Corver thing? We talked about it like a little bit. And the Cavs stuff certainly probably isn't ideal for, for Hawks fans. But, I mean, where do, you, where do they kind of see this kind of putting the, the franchise? Yeah, there was a lot of the uh, a lot of the really the attribute of the Cavs kind of thing, which I don't I don't really care honestly as someone who covers. I'm I'm, I'm sort of a retired Hawks fan, and then I, I cover the team now, so I'm trying I try not to be a fan uh, anymore of the team. But I did grow up a Hawks fan and have a rooting interest there, so um, I get that from some circumstances. You know, the Cleveland is a quote unquote rival of Atlanta; they're in the same conference. But um, for me, if you're the Hawks, you get the best return you can. Uh, the Cavs are already a lot better than you, so. It shouldn't affect your uh, whether you want to trade, make that trade, just because you're sending them to to the Cavs. But uh, beyond that, I think a lot of Hawks fans are disappointed because they they see the whole uh, here comes the rebuild thing, and this is not a rebuilding town. They don't want to go through that. A lot of the fans, uh, a lot of the fans like Corver. He's a fan favorite. There is a segment of the of the Hawks population which thinks that Corver is not a good basketball player, which kind of blows my mind but it does exist and a lot of those people were pretty happy to see you know more more time for tim hardaway jr and uh i don't really get that mindset but it does exist out there but yeah i think for the most part people are understanding of the move um i think they're, it's more fearful of the of, of this being a precursor to a full-scale blow-up rather than uh, having a real problem with uh, corver but a lot of people you know we talked about at the beginning of the podcast um getting just just quote unquote the first round pick from cleveland knowing that it's going to be a bad pick there was some of that as well. Uh, people just saying, like, look, this is going to be a bad first-round pick in three years. That's not, that doesn't seem like a lot, which I push back on a little bit, but I do understand it. So definitely mixed reaction, I would describe it as. Um, you know, there's kind of some divided camps. I'm sort of in the camp where this is a pretty good return. I was pretty happy with it. But uh, I also understand that I'm trying to remove, remove myself from fandom and kind of be as analytical as possible. So that's the analytical spin. We'll see what the fans say. Yeah, I was a tad bit surprised that – Someone else didn't uh, maybe give more for him because the Cavs' offer wasn't great. And it, you well, know what I mean? That's like, the weird. That, that's, that's the weird the, thing yeah. about it being so early. Like it's January. Like they probably could have waited a little bit longer. You would think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, I mean, the, the whole bidding war conversation with, with Bill Sapp, They definitely didn't do that here. And it, it well, if they did, it was very quick. Like it went from Corver's on the market to Corver's traded in what like three days. Yeah, it, it, it was, was like this quick turnaround. For the Cavs, it came out of nowhere. Um, we kind of put as a media group and you know with and the, with the blog and stuff. I think people everywhere else we we kind of thought it was going to be somebody else, maybe a point guard, if that was going to be the first move or something like that. Um, and I like that's still going to come. 
and maybe we thought it was going to be cutting Jordan McRae because of his contract guarantee and stuff like that. So this it did really kind of come out of there. And I, and I kind of just, again, I just would like to know if there were other offers. We may never know that. But if another team, another contender had something better to offer. Because Corver, I think, is probably best utilized at this point in his career as a guy on a good team shooting threes off the bench or as a spot starter and with, with and while still playing pretty good overall team defense. So like I wonder what team actually offered it, and, I, and I, it's probably some of the Hawks in, with his agent kind of trying to put him in a place where if he was going to have to leave Atlanta, it was going to be a place where he could go play for a title. Yeah, I got. I, I actually mentioned that on my reaction podcast, uh, on, on, I guess that ran on Friday. This is something the Hawks have a history of doing. They said the, the, you know, the Shelvin Mack trade was a much smaller one, but one that didn't make any any bit of sense whatsoever for the act for the for the Hawks, but they sent Shelvin to the Utah Jazz to play for his old coach in Quinn Snyder, for instance. They've also did the same thing with Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague ended up in his hometown of Indianapolis. Um, you know, I'm sure the Hawks had different offers, but they have a history of doing this now, where they've sent they've sent guys out in trades that were okay for them, but like you made you wonder if they could have gotten more, except for the fact that they kind of set that set, set the player back to the exact spot they probably wanted to be. So yeah, this is that, that could that could be part of it. I, I'm skeptical that the Hawks could have gotten a ton more than this, only because um, if they thought that, they probably could have waited again. And Cleveland, I'm sure, had some some level of urgency because of the fact that you know LeBron's gone out and said he wants more players. JR's on the JR's on the shelf, etc. So they, they need Corver now to kind of sustain. So I, I, maybe that offer would have gotten lower. I'm not sure. Maybe that was the urgency part of it, but I, I'm I'm pretty skeptical, honestly, that the Hawks could have gotten more than this. Maybe maybe the pick could have come. Uh, earlier, um, instead of waiting until 2019, people are impatient. But um, aside from that, you know, getting a first rounder for Kyle Korver in, in a vacuum uh, for expiring an expired contract, Kyle Korver at 35, um, feels like a win to me. It's just one of those things where there is that question of what, whether they could have gotten more somewhere else. Yeah, I if I if I was when this happened, I was a little surprised Sadie Osman wasn't in the deal. And if you don't know who Sadie Osman is, uh, to the listeners out there, he's the Cavs' probably best trade asset. Um, so that that kind of makes me think they did a re- the Cavs for me did a really good job on this deal, just because they still could use Osman as a picker as a as an asset to get somebody else or to bring him over next year because I think he probably could play and he wants to play in the NBA next year, and I think he's probably going to be able to do at least some things pretty well from day one. Um, but to look at Corver as an actual player, my read on him having watched maybe six or seven Hawks games this year is that he's obviously not Corver that's going to shoot almost 50% from three again. Like, he's not going to be that guy. But he's also a guy who's going to still shoot threes at a high level. He's going to defend decently um, still as part of an overall team defensive structure. And I think what he does is going to be magnified by playing with LeBron James. Like, I think that's just kind of my read. I think he's going to be really useful with the Cavs. And does he necessarily take things over the top for them no but I think he he's a perfect fit for what they probably needed off the bench and I think he this is a good landing spot for him if he was going to move on from Atlanta yeah it's a great spot for Kyle I mean a great great spot for Cleveland it's a great trade for for the Cavs I would call that a huge win I had to write I had to write about it for Dime Magazine um, from the Cavs angles so I broke that down a little bit and uh, basically my takeaway was what you just said is that this is a great spot for Corver and that it, it basically magnifies his, his strengths while covering up for his weaknesses um, one of the big reasons why he has quote-unquote regressed 
over the last year or so in terms of his stats in Atlanta was because the Hawks don't really have any creation around him. Dennis Schroeder is having a nice season, um, but he's not exactly a distributor. This is not, this is not the free-flowing offense that had them win 60 games two years ago. It's kind of a stagnant, um, much more traditional offense that has uh, allowed other people to game plan for Corver. We saw that in both the, both the Cavs series the last two years in the playoffs even, is that Cleveland was able to game plan around stopping Kyle Corver. And Corver uh, is not good enough to be able to, to create his own offense in that setting. Whereas <clears throat> now in Cleveland, He's going to get basically any, any open shot he wants. I mean, that's that's the, kind of the price you that uh, that's the price you pay for when you have LeBron on the court through the defense is trying to deal with LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love and all these options. Uh, and Corver, I believe, I, I'm not sure if this is still true, but at least as of two days ago, was leading the entire NBA in terms of spot up um, effective field goal percentage for the season. It's like 84 percent on spot ups. Um, it, that, that, that's effective field goal percentage that has some some some, uh, some stuff in there that people might not understand. But uh, let, let's just say that he's a good shooter still. Uh, he's still a great shooter, I would say. Um, and be, because of the fact that he's actually going to be able to get open, not have to be uh, created for all the time, just just specifically, but rather be a secondary option. Uh, that is a great fit for Kyle. And you mentioned his team defense. I think um, perpetually Corver is underrated defensively. He's not some defensive stopper by any means. But he's also not awful either. He's very big and physical. He has good hands. He's a good rebounder for a wing. Like he's not going to go out and, and stop anybody. But uh, he could play. He can play within the scheme, and uh, you don't you don't really have to hide him per se. So that's a great. It's a great spot for Cleveland, and and, and also Corver's guy. He's he's not going to care if he's not playing crunch time minutes in Cleveland. There's obviously some lineups in which the Cavs won't have him on the court, and when when things matter, and Corver is the type of guy who's not going to care about that at all. So it's not like you're bringing in this uh, this chemistry risk in the middle of the season Corver's going to fit right in and until jr comes back he'll be your he'll be your designated shooter and then when jr comes back you kind of ride whichever hot hand you want and whichever line of construction you want so yeah it's a huge win for cleveland in my estimation obviously you're closer to it than i am but i can speak to the fact that Corver is uh much better when he plays with with teammates that are that are good and cre- can create offense and there's nobody better than lebron at that yeah i think you're reading that 100%, right? Like, I think he, he fits in certain ways. I think he's also insurance for a JR because JR is coming off something that is going to affect his hand. He's, he's got the thumb injury on his shooting hand. That's not ideal for a guy whose job is to shoot. <laughs> and well, yeah, and J- I mean, JR's a better athlete. I mean, JR's a much better athlete. He's, he's a better one-on-one defender than Corver is. So mm-hmm. there's only so much. Th- there's only so much that Corver can make up for. But if you're looking just pure off- pure offensively, mm-hmm. uh, Corver is even a better shooter than JR. So it's one of those yeah. things where if you're going to get wide open shots, if you if, if I have to pick one of those two guys to shoot a wide open three, it's going to be Corver. Yeah, I like I, I really compare this to the Cavs getting Channing Fry, and they're obviously functionally different because Channing Fry is a big. But I think Kyle Korver is going to just get these kind of crazy open looks that he probably shouldn't be getting, like, functionally from opposing defenses just because of LeBron, of the gravity LeBron draws. Kyrie, we, I, and it, we, I know people are going to tweet me about this and say, like, oh, he's not a great uh, pass or anything. But he's done a really, really nice job the past couple weeks of really abandoning the mid-range to an extent and dishing out of, out of inside more. He's looking to find open shooters on the perimeter. Corver is going to be a guy that you put him with Kyrie, he's going to he's going to get open looks that way too. And I think even if you play with Kevin Love, and they do some stuff where Love's passing, we've seen a little bit of this. Um, even if Cor- it's something where Corver gets the ball and or is you know waiting and runs around a screen like they did with Mike Dunleavy when Mike Dunleavy's playing a little bit, he's going to get these open looks that he's just going to nail. And like he's just going to be so useful in the defensive stuff. I think you're right. Like 
do you want him necessarily playing against teams that have multiple ball handlers? Maybe not, because uh, you have Shumpert and Liggins, and you can probably get by in certain situations with those guys. But if you're, you know, if you let's say you're playing the Warriors in the finals, and you need his shooting, you can put him on Ian Clark. You can put him on Andre Iguodala. Like you can put him on these guys that aren't their best players and that do some stuff well, but aren't gonna handle things. He's a, he's a smart defender. Like I think. He again. You're right. He's not a lockdown defender, but he's a useful defender and he's a passable defender, and that's kind of all you need. Yeah, I mean, he's playable in that series. That's one of the people first things people ask me um, from the Cleveland side is, you know, can Corver go on the court against against Golden State? And I said yes because of what you just said. I mean, in crunch time, you know, Golden State's best five includes Andre Iguodala, and he can absolutely guard Andre Iguodala. Um, also, Corver's been playing some power forward this year, and that's sort of out of necessity in Atlanta because of all the offensive troubles that the Hawks have had. But he is very, very big. I believe it's Kevin Arnovitz on this on a recent podcast with Zach Lowe was talking about yeah, just the right. sheer size of Corver, and I, I will. I will definitely co-sign that. He's a legit six seven, six seven and a half, and like two twenty. Like he's a he's a big, thick guy who rebounds well and has really long arms. Like he's again not this physical marvel by any means, but he he was credibly defending some power forwards in the recent past, and um, that's just you know another another bit of functionality. Not not really for the Warriors series necessarily, but a couple couple of different matchups that you could play him in. If you wanted to go small, uh, obviously when you have a LeBron, you don't really need to go small with Corver playing the four, but it just kind of illustrates the fact that he can guard uh, some different guys and not be uh, exposed in a big way. Yeah, I think that's – and I think for the Cavs, that's ideal. Like, I think you wanted to make sure you could get a guy who could defend a little bit, uh, who could do some things well and just kind of move. Like the, the issue with Dunleavy, Dunleavy was supposed to be um, what – Corver's going to be with the Cavs. And that's simplifying things just a bit, I think. But I think it just kind of is the situation where Dunleavy was really bad. And you get a guy who I think Corver doesn't have the back issues. I know he had the ankle injury, which incidentally I think stemmed from Matthew Dallavadova a couple, uh, two, two years in the playoffs. Like this kind of stuff. That is true. The, the yeah, I mean, like it's a small little thing with Delhi. Um, but he's like, he's. Did that probably take away some of his movement and stuff? Yeah, but so did age. And he doesn't have the back issue like like Dunleavy. And I think also, like, I don't know exactly what his future holds in terms of, you know, past this year. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to want to play into his late, into his 40s or, like, near his 40th birthday, if he's going to want to go somewhere different this summer or if the Cavs could, you know, if he could get a bigger offer that the Cavs aren't going to be able to pay him. But I don't know how much that matters, to be honest, either. It doesn't if you're Cleveland and you're actually trying to win the title this year. I mean, for Atlanta, that was that would have played into the thinking, and that's probably one of the reasons they traded him is because they have all these young wings behind him, and you know, paying him was not going to be a given at the end of the year, so it made some sense to deal him. But if you're Cleveland, it doesn't really matter. You're talking about this year. It's all about this year. Um, obviously, there's some future consideration, but that's not why you make this deal. You don't make this deal to worry about the future. It's to make your make your team better right away. Um, obviously, Cleveland's draft uh, draft assets are not exactly glowing at this point in time, uh, but they don't really care about that because you don't have to care when you're about to win uh, at least compete for another title after you just won one. So yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about the future. Kyle does like playing basketball from everything that I can see, and he might want to play it for another year, two, three. 
But, uh, you know, if, if they win the title this year and want to bring the band back together, then that could be a situation where you're like, hey, Kyle, here's $6 million to come back and play again. Um, something like that. But who knows? Um, what what that, Your point definitely, though, is, is accurate, is that Cleveland doesn't need to care about that, and uh, they probably don't. Yeah. Let's let's wrap it up on, on kind of just great trivia themes. I also want to point out um, that I just I realized this, and I'm – Scrolling to make sure I get the the tweet kind of at least close to being right. I believe I, tr- I you tweeted something about trades and about maybe about Corver, and I'm pretty sure I t- like trolled you with a really bad offer from the Cavs that got them Cephalosha and Corver, and of course they only got Corver, but um... <laughs> that probably happened. I've oh, got a few go. three days ago. This is where I tweeted you. Here's the, here's the the trade I put in there. And I was gonna like say a pick and said he was one if you wanted him. I can't wait. So the the thing was, you said Mo Williams, Birdman, and Felder to Atlanta. So I got one of those right. Um, and then going back to Cleveland because of the trade exceptions were Corver and Cephalosha. And this was and after, listen, this was after that almost you tweeted, happened. guys, I, you, this is the tweet you sent. And this is my trolling response. And I'm kind of a say I'm going to take credit for this. Your tweet was, guys, I got my first, the Hawks like K. Felder get away email today. The date, This date will go down in history. And I fixed it. And I kind of didn't, it didn't actually get fixed, but. Hey, yeah, I tried. You you, you kind of nailed it. Um, Kay Felder has become a legend in Hawk circles because the <laughs> Hawks quote unquote drafted him. Even even though they sold the pick long before it was Kay Felder, this is what Hawks fans like to do, uh, and a lot of NBA fans like to do. They want to fix fixate on the player that actually went in that spot. Um, even though the Hawks weren't going to draft Kay Felder, that pick was made by Cleveland exclusively. But yeah, I uh, as, soon, as, soon as, as soon as Kay Felder appeared and was playing rotation minutes for a couple games there. I was already hearing it from Hawks fans, but yeah, you nailed it. It looks like yeah. I mean, obviously, Cephalosha didn't isn't going to be going to the Cavs uh, at least. Well, maybe maybe he will. You never. Yeah. I, w- I don't want to rule it out. Yeah, uh, but I think because I think he, I think he's going to get traded too. But you were you were spot on there. Yeah. Let's. Oh, by the way, Kay Felder is also about to hit the point where he doesn't play a minute except when he goes to the charge because the Cavs are getting a point guard. <laughs> like the moment LeBron, oh, the, the moment LeBron yeah. said it, I was like, okay, Mario Chalmers is probably going to be in the Cavs in a week or something. But and by the way, I like K. Felder. While we're here, like yeah. I like K. Felder. I'm we, a big fan. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think actually when we recorded the season preview for our two teams, I think you actually mentioned that. Like, I that's something I kind of remember happening. Um, and he's been like really good. Like he looked overwhelmed the first two three times he played, and one of them like. They asked him to guard Chris Paul, and I was like, "Well, of course, like it's Chris freaking Paul. It's the point guard." Um, well, and Felder's like five foot three, he's so yeah, so, of course. He's so like we NBA listed sizes are very funny because sometimes they're really inaccurate. Like the whole Kevin Durant isn't seven foot thing is, is you know bogus. Um, oh, Fel- I have a good K- one for you. K Felder's legit tiny. I have I have a good one for you. I was reminded about it today. This is a this is an offshoot. And I promise I'll let you wrap this thing up. But JJ. Uh, J.J. Barea is listed at six feet tall. J.J. Barea is, and I'm not exaggerating, no more than five eight and a half. I've stood, <laughs> I've, stu- I've stood next to the man before. J.J. Barea is not remotely approaching six feet tall. And Bob Rathman, who is the Hawks play-by-play guy, mentioned that he was, quote, and I quote, generously listed at six feet tall tonight. And I, I had a good chuckle because they were on the road. But I've stood next to Barea, and that guy can't be more than five nine. No that, chance. That's fantastic. That, that's fantastic. Um. I'm all here for the for truthing the, the actual heights. Like, I'm, here, I'm here for that. Um, but let's wrap it up on this. You know, let just give me the grade of this deal for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, I'm going to give it a like a B minus. So you know, better than better than average. Uh, not blow, didn't blow me away by any means. But I'm fr- I'm fairly happy with the return. Um, there's all the things we talked about. But in the end, this is Kyle Korver for four months. 
um, for a first round pick. And I know it's a bad first rounder, but that's that's more than I thought. Honestly, I thought the Corver, if he got traded, would get uh, maybe a good maybe two second rounders would be probably what I thought it might be, or a second rounder and a small asset. Um, so to get a first rounder, even if it's going to be a bad one, was a win in my mind. So uh, I'll say it's a slight win. I'll go I'll go B minus. Yeah. Uh, and for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I said this on the on the the show that I did, kind of quickly breaking down this trade, I think it's an A plus. Like I know he's not signed past this year. I know that I actually someone tweet me that I was doing PR for the team because I said there was no downside, which you know I don't think there actually is any downside of this. If if he is worse, if he's just Mike Dunleavy, and that happens again. You literally didn't give up anything that I think is that valuable. Do you necessarily want to give up all your first-round picks? Not really. Like, that's not great. But if you're trying to win a title and you're trying to maximize LeBron, which is what the Cavs should be doing, this is better than a 2019 first-round pick. That It's just, I think, factually inarguable. And I think Corver is going to fit in really well. And from every indication he's going to be a lot better than Dunleavy and be such a useful player on this team. The Cavs are openly talking about him getting these crazy open shots, and I think they're right. And, and I think it's a move they had to do, because if, you, if you're if you going to look at that first Warriors game, one of the issues was that he was so... that that team was so thin. The Warriors are maybe not going to play 10, 11 guys again in, in a finals matchup, per se. The Cavs probably can't get away with playing just eight in that series. And I think Corver is going to be a guy that's going to add to your playable players and your useful players when and if that finals rematch comes. Yeah, for what it's worth, I definitely agree with you. That was, I would give that an A, too, for Cleveland's side just because I think he is just better than Dunleavy all the way all the way across the board. And, uh, you know, throwing – by the way, the Cavs save money on this deal, save yeah. luxury tax bill, which is – I, I found that I found that hilarious, and a lot of Hawks fans like got even madder when I mentioned that. But the you know this actually saves Cleveland money, which is just amazing to me. David Griffin is a very good general manager, so people that are out there like saying LeBron James with another great deal, give David Griffin some credit, man, because LeBron James is not the one every day uh, going over the spreadsheets and doing the the tax calculations and kind of weighing that side of things. He's like, give me guys that can play. David Griffin's the one delivering on that promise. For sure, and credit to him. That was a great deal. That was a great deal for the Cavs. Yeah, I mean Dan Gilbert. I mean Dan Gilbert's super rich, and he probably won't even notice that a million dollars is missing. But you know, rich guy, <laughs> save, rich guy saves money. But uh, Brad, thank you for doing this show. Uh, appreciate us doing another you know, crossover, and I'm sure we'll end up talking about these two teams again. Uh, but you know, hopefully your post post Kyle Korver Hawks coverage uh, gets gets a little bit more interesting, at least in in some ways. Because I mean. It change change breeds kind of interesting things one way or another. Yeah, it's already been interesting. There'll definitely be more coming, and uh, inexplicably the Hawks are playing well right now. So hopefully that continues as well because it's always more fun, as I'm sure you know, to talk about the team when they're playing better. Yeah, I mean, I I do sometimes get along for the days of Deanne Waiters and Earl Clark, but then I remember, okay, yeah, I don't have to talk about Earl Clark stepping in bounds as he's throwing an end of game out of bounds pass. Oh, Earl Clark. Shout out to Earl Clark yeah, while we're wonder, here. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing now, actually. I have no idea. Uh, I don't either. I'm sure playing basketball somewhere other than, other than the United States is yeah. my guess. Hopefully he's getting paid in, in China along with Jared Cunningham and Josh Smith and maybe Rajon Rondo here in the very near future. The, that was There were two former Hawks in Cunningham and uh, Smith there, so shout, nice nice conclusion by yeah. you. Jared Cunningham played for both teams. I believe he just scored like 69 points or something like that in a game in China. 
Like, I'm pretty sure he just was in the news for something crazy. Um, he was really mad at me one time, my first year covering the team, which we I can tell you that story <laughs> oh, offline. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, he was really mad at me at one point. It was fun. He was boys with LeBron for a minute. Like, LeBron included in him his pregame workouts and stuff, and it was, like, this big thing. And then, like, the deadline comes to first contract be guaranteed. And he was like, all right, bye, Jared. Like, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> super <laughs> unsacrimonious. Uh, and that almost happened to Jordan McRae, but then it didn't. But uh, So make sure you follow Brad on Twitter. I believe it's at BT Roland, correct? That is correct, sir. Uh, yeah, find me on Twitter at CWM Rights. Find both pods on Twitter. Just search the names. Give us five star rating and review on five star rating and reviews on iTunes because it helps other people find the show. Um, and both of us will be back soon. And thanks again, Brad.